Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, as always, Carrie Parker, and welcome to episode 99. And you know what that means. Next week is my pod centennial, my 100th episode. Uh, I'll be getting back to that more in just a minute. Uh, we've got a new show for you this week. Uh, of, <laughs> rarely a week goes by that I don't have to talk about Facebook. I've got a couple things to talk to you about Facebook this week. We're also going to talk about a court case that just got handed down in California, a federal court case out of California that now says basically, and this is not 100% settled, but this is a, this is a new shift, uh, that you cannot be forced to unlock your phone with your fingerprint or your face scan. That's a big deal. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the Weather Channel app. It's one of the most popular apps on the planet, which means that if you've got a smartphone, you probably have it, and you're going to want to listen to this story if you haven't heard already, because they are getting sued for giving away, or probably not giving away, probably selling your location data to several third parties, it sounds like. And finally, we're going to talk uh, about 23andMe again. This is the site that lets you spit in a thing and send it in, and they do a DNA test. And they send you back some results about your heritage, similar to what Ancestry.com does as well. Of course, we've talked about this show many times before about how I cringe at the privacy aspects of this. And, and this story will not make you feel any better. But before we get to the news, I want to throw a little teaser in. Um, this is the 99th episode, the 100th episode of the podcast. I cannot believe it has been almost two years now. Uh, the 100th episode is coming up next Monday. It is the next episode, January 28th, which also, quite coincidentally, happens to be International Data Privacy Day. So, uh, of course, I will be focusing on privacy for that episode, but being my pod centennial, I've decided we're going to kick things up a notch. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have some fun. We're going to try to get a whole bunch of new listeners in the process. And I've got a really big announcement to make uh, on who my interview guest will be for that show. So uh, stay tuned at the end of this show, and I'll give you uh, some more details. But now, uh, let's get to the news. So I've actually seen several more disturbing articles about Facebook. I'm so glad I deleted Facebook and got off of them. Uh, if you haven't, uh, maybe some of these stories will finally push you over the edge as well. A lot of people have left, but no, not, not nearly enough. So uh, first story is about a Facebook app that apparently on some phone manufacturers and some, uh, I'm, and with some agreements with some of these, either it's either the phone manufacturers or the cell providers or both, uh, and pre-install the Facebook app on your phone. Okay, fine. Uh, but that app is undeletable. You cannot remove the app. Part of the agreement with these companies or uh, the phone manufacturers is that not only is it pre-installed, but you cannot uninstall it. You do not have the option. Uh, let me read you uh, from this article from Bloomberg. Consumers have become more alert about their digital rights and more vigilant about privacy in the past year, following revelations about Facebook's information sharing practices and regulators' heightened scrutiny of online data collection. Some people have deleted their Facebook accounts in protest of the company's lapses, while others simply want to make sure that they have the option to do so. Many Android phone users have begun to question Samsung's deal to sell phones with a permanent version of Facebook, and some of them are complaining on social media. Now, I'll take a little break here from the article. It goes on to say that you actually can, quote-unquote, disable the app, but that doesn't delete the app. And uh, let me go back to the article to tell you what Facebook says about that. It says... A Facebook spokesperson said the disabled version of the app acts like it's been deleted, so it doesn't continue collecting data or sending information back to Facebook. 
but there's rarely communication with the consumer about the process. The Menlo Park, California-based company said that whether the app is deletable or not depends on various pre-install deals Facebook has made with phone manufacturers, operating systems, and mobile operators around the world over the years, including Samsung. Facebook, the world's largest social network, wouldn't disclose the financial nature of the agreements, but said that they're meant to give the consumer, quote, the best phone experience right after opening the box. All right, so basically, of course, the... the the thing they always go back to the old saw of these companies is that we're trying, we're doing this for you. We're doing this for your benefit. Uh, everybody wants Facebook. So we're just going to have that all ready and set up for you when you get on, when you get on the phone. And I suppose they're not going to let you accidentally delete it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this is the kind of thing that personally drives me crazy. Um, there's a podcast I like called security now and that, and the host there, Steve Gibson talks about the, the tyranny of the default. Uh, that being that, what, however your phone is set up when you get it, the chances of you changing that setup are pretty small. There are so many dials and knobs and switches and things uh, in your phone settings, so many different ways you can customize that. Most people never bother. Um, so whatever's there by default, that's what you're going to have. And that's what a lot of these companies count on. I mean, first of all, you have to know that it's something you can change in the first place. You have to know it exists in the first place. Then you have to know it's something you can change. You got to find that thing you change. Then you got to understand what it is you're changing. Yeah, people just don't do it. And these companies know that. So, um, you know, anything they can do that makes their thing the default means that it's probably never going to change. So anyway, so there's that was article number one. Uh, there was actually several, I had to like pick from my articles this week of which Facebook thing I was going to talk about. Uh, so this next one, um, and this actually came from a 2012 class action lawsuit. Uh, but some documents from the suit were recently made public and, you know, for all the posturing that Facebook does about, you know, caring about their, uh, caring about their users and doing things for their benefit. And, you know, it's, it's things like this next thing I'm about to tell you, they just belie all of that. Um, in this case, the, the suit was that some parents were shocked to find that their credit card bills for Facebook or related um, Facebook applications or games or whatever were sky high because there was some initial buy-in, but then there was some some sort of ongoing payment thing. And their kids, unbeknownst to them, and apparently there's not enough checks and balances in place, ran, ran up these massive bills. Uh, and the documents from this case make it totally clear that Facebook was all okay with that. So let me, let me just read a little snippet from this article from uh, Bleeping Computer. Uh, by the way, run by Lawrence Abrams, who has been on this show. Uh, so anyway, from the article, it says, The lead plaintiff in the case was a child who, was who used his mother's credit card to pay $20 while playing a game on Facebook. The child, referred to as IB in this case, did not know the social media giant had stored his mom's payment information. As he continued to play the game, Ninja, Sa Ninja Saga... Facebook continued to charge his mom's credit card, racking up several hundred dollars in just a few weeks. Uh, and then it goes on for a little bit. This, this, is, the kill, this is the kicker right here. Um, in one of the unsealed documents, two Facebook employees deny a refund request from a child whom they refer to as a whale, a coin termed by the casino industry to describe profligate spenders. 
The child had entered a credit card to play a game and in about two weeks racked up thousands of dollars in charges, according to an excerpt of messages between two employees at the social media giant. So basically, these two employees were, were getting a real kick out of the fact that they'd landed a whale. And, and when you're at a casino, that means you've got some big spender in there who likes to lose. Um, so, you know, oh, it's kind of like a mark, you know, in the old con in the old con game days. You know, the, this kid, you know, of course, he's a minor. He can't really consent to this. So he's using his parents' phone, and I'm sure the parents set things up. But there was obviously no governor in place no method by which, you know, something would pop up and say, hey, you're spending an awful lot of money, you, you know, do you need to do this? Or would you reconfirm that you would like to pay or any of those kind of things? Um, now, granted, this was 2012, so hopefully things have improved since then. But the bottom line here for me is this. Facebook, Facebook doesn't care about its users. It cares about money. It cares about advertising and monetizing its users. Uh, and we just, there's article after article that keep coming up, and I don't know how people can stand it personally. Um, these, the Facebook is is saying one thing and doing quite another, and you know the 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 mo is to wait to get caught, apologize that crazy, put out some sort of a, you know some sort of a fix supposedly for the issue, and then hope it all gets swept under the rug. And crucially, there is no other repercussions other than you know maybe people getting ticked off enough to you know quit using Facebook. Uh, other than that, there there are no financial repercussions to the things that they're doing because probably somewhere you signed an agreement saying this is cool, and you'll let them do this. So from a legal standpoint, you signed away your rights or whatever in these terms of service things, uh, which we're we're going to talk about next week. Uh, we we talk about that a lot. There's your Facebook stories for the week, and if you haven't quit Facebook, you might want <laughs> might want to give that another thought. All right, next up, uh, really interesting article in Forbes about uh, a recent court case. Uh, and this, you know, the law on this has been slow to develop and, and, and whether or not cops can force you to unlock your phone and how and under what circumstances uh, that they can have access to your phone. We've talked about it several times uh, on this podcast. We've had guests in from the EFF. In fact, uh, this next article is going to quote one of our, uh, the guests we've had on this show. Um, so let me just read you uh, from this Forbes article. California judge Candace Westmore declared that the government did not have the right, even with a warrant, to force suspects to incriminate themselves by unlocking their devices with their biological features. Previously, courts had decided biometric features, unlike passcodes, were not, quote-unquote, testimonial. That was because a suspect would have to willingly and verbally give up a passcode, which is not the case with biometrics. A password was therefore deemed testimony, but body parts were not, and so not granted Fifth Amendment protections under self against self-incrimination. This created a paradox. How could a passcode be treated differently to, uh, differently to a finger or a face when any of the three could be used to unlock a device and expose a user's private life? And that's just what Westmore focused on in her ruling, declaring that, quote, technology is outpacing the law, unquote. The judge wrote that fingerprints and face scans were not the same as physical evidence when, considering, when considered in context where those body features would be used to unlock a phone. She said, quote, if a person cannot be compelled to provide a passcode because it is a testimonial communication, a person cannot be compelled to provide one's finger, thumb, iris, face, or other biometric feature to unlock that same device, she wrote. Andrew Crocker, and he's the person we've had on our show to talk about actually a very similar subject. Uh, Andrew Crocker, senior staff attorney at the Digital Rights Nonprofit Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF, 
said that the latest California ruling went a step further than he'd seen other courts go. In particular, Westmore observed alphanumeric passcodes and biometrics serve the same purpose in unlocking phones. He goes on to say, while that's a fairly novel conclusion, it's important that courts are beginning to look at these issues on their own terms. In its recent decisions, the Supreme Court has made clear that digital searches raise serious privacy concerns that did not exist in the age of physical searches. Uh, for a full forensic search of a cell phone reveals far more than a pat-down of a suspect's pockets during an arrest, for example. Unquote. So Andrew and I discussed this at length. That's a great episode to go back and listen to. Uh, you know, how do you, you know, when you sign a warrant for someone to go through your house and you, and you say, uh, okay, you're looking for this in this room and, you know, unless something is directly visible as you're walking through the house, uh, it's, it's inadmissible. You, you have a focused area and you're looking for a certain thing. You know, when you open up somebody's smartphone, there's unbelievably detailed amounts of information about people that you could just be finding by poking around on that. And what if the phone is connected to the internet? Now you can go through old texts, old emails, um, web history. There's so many things that you could look at way beyond, you know, how do you, how do you restrict a cell phone search to just like, I just want to look at this one email from this one person. Um, and in practice, they haven't really done that. So uh, anyway, it just goes to show that the whole digital world is very different than the physical world, and we've got to adapt our laws to uh, to accommodate that. And this ruling uh, from a federal judge in California goes in that direction. We'll see if it stands up. I'm sure that at some point these things are going to hit the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get uh, one ruling to rule them all. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully, they will come down on the side that this judge did and realize that in the modern world, uh, just because you don't have to say it doesn't make it, you know, doesn't mean it's any less testimonial and no less covered by the Fifth Amendment. All right, next up, uh, NBC News uh, reports that the Weather Channel app is being sued by the city of Los Angeles, and they're being sued because they gathered and sold detailed location information on the people who had their app installed on their smartphones to several third parties, uh, which is according to the, the the court case, well beyond the privacy policy that they outlined. Um, again, it's, it's just easy to read some of these, uh, read some of this to you. So let me read, uh, read the beginning article from um, NBC News about this. The Los Angeles City Attorney's Office issued a cloudy forecast with the possibility of civil penalties. <laughs> That's so clever. I had to read that. Uh, for the popular Weather Channel app Friday, claiming it repeatedly violated the privacy of consumers. In a civil lawsuit filed in Los Angeles Superior Court, city prosecutors alleged that the Weather Channel app led users to believe that it would use location data to provide them with personalized local weather data, alerts, and forecasts, but instead transmitted that data to third parties. The 15-page suit seeks to stop TWC Product and Technology LLC, uh, which is a subsidiary of IBM, from using consumers' information and seeks civil penalties up to $2,500 for each violation by the company. Prosecutors allege that the firm profited from that data for the purposes entirely unrelated to the weather or the app. Now, it's important to note here, and the article does say this, that the um, uh, the Weather Channel's TV operations, the one we all love to tune into when there's some sort of severe weather, um, uh, and the Weather Channel website, weather.com, are totally separate from totally separate from the company that runs this, this little LLC owned by IBM. So uh, they got the same name, but apparently uh, that's about as far as they go. So don't, I guess, don't go, you know, boycotting weather.com or the Weather Channel's TV operations over this. You know, maybe there's other reasons too, but not for this. All right, so let me get back to the article. 
It says, the Weather Channel app is billed as the world's most downloaded weather app with approximately 45 million monthly users. But the company's, by the company's own account, TWC collects, quote, more than 1 billion pieces of location data per week, unquote. When reached for comment for the lawsuit, a spokesman for IBM said the company planned to fight the lawsuit. Quote, the weather company has always been transparent with use of location data. The disclosures are fully appropriate and we will defend them vigorously, unquote, the spokesman said in an email. And it goes on for a bit more and more, and I'm not going to read all of it. Uh, it does say one more little tidbit here. It says uh, that the app transferred users' geolocation data to at least a dozen third-party websites over the past 19 months. So... Uh, what are you supposed to do? So I often talk on the show about, you know, whenever you install those new apps and they ask you for permission to access your camera or your mic or your contacts or your calendar or your location, uh, that you carefully scrutinize each one of those and not just give a blanket. Sure. Do whatever you want, uh, and make sure that it makes sense for the app. Now, unfortunately in this case, it completely makes sense for the app. Uh, if you're of a weather app, obviously you want it to tell you the weather, where you are at. Uh, that requires <laughs> using your location data. And I think we're starting to see this more and more now because people are, you know, maybe getting a little more wary and and not giving permission to for everything that's asked for. Um, and also some of the app stores, I think in particular the Apple App Store, uh, but Android as well, uh, from what I hear, are really dialing this stuff back and saying, you know, hey, you know, don't be asking for this stuff if you don't need it. Uh, and if you don't need it to do what your app is supposed to do, not for some other nefarious purpose. But the trick in this case is, it's you know, in this case, they need to know your location. So unfortunately, they're not only are they using that location to send you detailed local weather, they're also selling that to other people to make some extra money off of you. The app is probably free, right? So again, you know, if the product is free, then you're the product. All right, one more story, and that leads into our tip of the week. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, uh, I read this article in the Business Insider uh, talking about GlaxoSmithKline, and uh, GSK is a massive pharmaceutical company, um, and they have just announced that they are going to make a heavy investment in 23andMe, uh, and the article I'm about to read will tell you why. So, from the article from Business Insider, it says, Popular spit-in-a-tube genetics testing companies like Ancestry and 23andMe can, and frequently do, sell your data to drug makers. But on Wednesday, one of those partnerships became much more explicit when the pharmaceutical giant GlaxoSmithKline announced it was acquiring $300 million stake in 23andMe. As part of a four-year deal between the two companies, GlaxoSmithKline will comb 23andMe's genetic data to look for new drugs to develop, also referred to as drug targets. It will also use the genetic data to inform how patients are selected for clinical trials. If that news has you thinking about how your own genetic material is being used for research, know that though the DNA you submit to these services is ostensibly anonymized, leaks can happen, and privacy advocates say that such incidents would allow your data to find its way elsewhere, perhaps without your knowledge. All right, so the article goes on, and one of the things it does say is that, I guess, and I've never used this service, uh, when you sign up for 23andMe, it asks you when you sign up if you want to have your spit samples saved or discarded. Uh, but apparently it doesn't actually make it clear whether or not the resulting DNA will be saved or discarded, regardless of what you choose. 
Uh, in fact, it says that there's a, they quote um, the terms of service or something that says, by choosing to have 23andMe store either your saliva sample or DNA extracted from your saliva, you are consenting to having 23andMe and its contractors access and analyze your stored sample using the same or more advanced technologies, unquote. So, you know, if your spit or DNA is stored, according to this thing, they could keep it for up to 10 years or longer if they inform you. And, you know, who knows how they're going to inform you, right? It could be the next, you know, please, our terms of service have been updated. Click here to accept or, you know, read all this stuff and then click here to accept and nobody ever reads it, right? So we just click accept. So, you know, they would sneak that thing right in there and you would never even notice it. So I've talked about this before. It made, it, it's twice now made my list of worst gifts uh, for the holiday, for the holiday season. And, you know, so they can claim these companies that they're going to anonymize your data and they would only share it with these other companies and third parties and partners and whatever in an anonymous way. But how do you make DNA anonymous? It's you. It, I mean, <laughs> you, you couldn't be any less anonymous if someone has your DNA sample. So, you know, yes, they might not attach your name to the sample, but what would it take to figure out who that sample came from with any other kind of record that has your DNA on it? Um, you know, so maybe I'm just being paranoid. You know, what are they going to do with that data? I don't know. If the, you know, Maybe they're going to cure cancer with this data, sure. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just jaded because I've seen, <laughs> I've seen how these things go wrong and how the best intentions pave the way to privacy hell. Um, so... <laughs> Anyway, I'm just putting that information out there for you so you're well informed. And that brings us to our tip of the week. And that is there are ways, apparently, uh, to have your DNA data deleted from these companies. And I'm going to talk about two of them, 23andMe and Ancestry. Reading through this article, uh, the, the, the authors of this article said it really wasn't clear. Other than, it, you know, if you had said when you signed up to delete your data, that may have been a, you know, a good move if you didn't want your data saved or your DNA saved uh, and shared. But it, again, their terminology was a little vague and unclear as to whether or not, you know, maybe they throw away the spit sample, but they still keep the DNA part. And then if they keep the DNA, what can they do with it? Um, so the, the first half of this tip, which encompasses 23andMe, unfortunately, is, is not clear uh, how you would delete your sample from their warehouse or wherever they store these things. So here's what I would do. I would send them a registered or I'm sorry, send them a certified letter, write up a really nice letter saying, Hey, I used your service. It was fun. Yada, yada, yada. However, for privacy concerns, I would prefer that you delete my DNA and or discard, discard my DNA and spit samples. It basically discard anything that you have of mine uh, and wipe me out of your database. I would send that as a certified letter to make sure they got it. And I would request a written confirmation. I don't know if it'll work. You'll have to go to the website and try to find a customer service thing. Maybe they've got a customer service number you could call, but personally, I wouldn't want this all in writing and have a paper trail. Um, so for 23andMe, it, you know, you could try calling customer service maybe and see, you know, see if there's a more direct way to do this. And maybe you can actually do this through their online website like you can for Ancestry, which I'm about to talk about next. Uh, but it was not clear from this article uh, that, that you could do it that way. Now, there is a clear way for Ancestry.com. And from what little I've read about each of these, it seems to me that Ancestry.com is a little better about guarding your privacy than 23andMe. But, you know, low bar. So 
If you have done this with Ancestry.com, and if this creeps you out, and you would like to have them delete your DNA and discard your material, uh, there is actually a straightforward way to do that on Ancestry.com. So, so this is actually this is actually an actionable tip. So, if you go to the website and log in into your account, uh, up at the top there's one of the menu items that says DNA. Uh, if you click that, it opens a menu. Uh, but I think if you just click the DNA label itself, it'll take you to the same page. Otherwise, I think it's the first option there uh, under the DNA tab. Uh, you'll know because the next page you'll get, uh, the next page you'll get to is will have your name at the top. Uh, and up at the upper right, there's a little thing that says settings. And you'll want to click on that, the settings thing in the upper right of that next page. And in that settings page on the right-hand side, you'll see a big button that says delete test results. Um, and click that. You'll have to, you know, it'll give you a big dire warning about, are you sure you really want to do this? If you do this, we can't use this. And you can't use it anymore either uh, in the future. You know, you'll stop getting this benefit or whatever that they try to scare you. So according to the company's uh, latest privacy statement, uh, it says that doing this, clicking that delete test results thing, will result in Ancestry deleting the following within 30 days. Quote, all genetic information, including any derivative genetic information, parenthetically it says uh, ethnicity, ethnicity estimates, genetic relative matches, etc., from our production, development, analytics, and research systems, unquote. So that seems pretty comprehensive. So if you go through this process, I think you should expect that your samples actually really and for true uh, will be deleted and discarded from Ancestry.com. However, uh, there's one gotcha. And I guess if you sign up for, when you sign up for Ancestry, if you opted into what they called an informed consent to research, um, then the company cannot wipe your genetic information from, quote, any active or completed research products or projects, unquote. Um, which, you know, makes sense. If you told them they could use it and they used it, then the people that they gave it to to use it, you know, they, they can't then go back and tell them to delete everything that they got out of that. Um, so that will that will cause a little snag here. Um, nevertheless, according to the article, you can still call uh, the member services and tell them that you want it deleted and they will do everything they can. And just one more thing, and this is actually what made me say what I said earlier. According to... Uh, uh, their their privacy policy, the, the Ancestry, it says, protecting consumers' privacy is our highest priority. Uh, we do not and will not sell DNA data to insurers, employers, or third-party marketers without customers' explicit consent. Customers must explicitly opt in to participate in scientific research and can revoke permission at any time. So, you know, that's legalese. Um, once you opted in, who knows when and how you opted in, but, you know, at that point they could have given it to anybody. But... Um, at least Ancestry does give you a way to, you know, cut that off and stop stop it going forward and delete it going uh, delete your data from and your DNA and whatever your spit samples and all that stuff is going forward. All right, now as promised, here are some more details, more juicy details about my Pod Centennials, which will be next week, the 100th episode. We got some really good stuff going on. So, a couple things. First of all. Uh, I, I want to say thank you to all the people who have been listening so far, all my you know, longtime listeners, and I want to entice some more listeners. I really want to entice some more listeners. So to that end, I've got two things going on next week. First of all, uh, I'm going to be giving away lots of prizes, actually. <laughs> I talked to my publisher, uh, and they sent me all sorts of fun books uh, around cybersecurity that I could give away. Uh, obviously, I will be giving away my own book as well, but not only will I be giving away the book, I'll be giving away signed copies of my book. For uh, those of you who think that's cool, 
And uh, the kicker, of course, is you have to be listening to win. I'm going to tell you how to win on the show. So if you don't listen to the show, you won't know how to win the prizes. Um, uh, probably going to have five different awards. Uh, the big one will be a whole stack of books. I'm, I'm going to give away a bunch of my favorite cybersecurity and privacy books. So please, this is the time. If you know of anybody else who would enjoy this podcast, friends, family, social media, uh, now's the time to spread that word. Um, you can retweet some of my tweets if you want to follow me on Twitter. I don't do Facebook, as we've made clear, um, but maybe you do. Um, but on Twitter, you can find me at, uh, at Firewall Dragons. Uh, you can find me on Twitter there, and you can I'm, I will be tweeting about this, among other things. And if you find one of those tweets and you want to retweet that, that would be one way to go. But, you know, hey, word of mouth is great, too. So, you know, if you're talking to some friends, say, oh, you know, this is I've really enjoyed this podcast. I think you might enjoy it, too. And, hey, by, by the way, next week, if you want to give this a try, that's the time to do it because he's going to be giving away prizes. And here's the second part, the really, really important, well, to me, the really amazing part about this is I have landed for my interview guest next week, Bruce Schneier. Now, he is not a household name to anybody outside of the tech industry. If you're in software or if you're in security, this man is a god. He is a guru. He is a true alpha geek. He he literally wrote the book on applied cryptography back in the day and since then has written something like 14 books or 18 books he's testified in front of congress he sits on the board of several uh wonderful organizations including epic and the eff and tor and the verified voting project among others he is out there he is he is doing great work and has done great work and i uh, love his books and i have been wanting to talk to that man since day one and i i i Sent him a note and saying, I told him, I said, this, you know, this is going to be my 100th episode. If you were ever going to come on, this is the one. And he thankfully agreed. So I am thrilled. I just interviewed him, um, uh, actually this morning and he will be, so it's in the bag. I know it's going to happen now. So now I can talk about it. I didn't want to jinx myself, uh, but it is ready to go. I just got to get it edited. And it was a really fun chat. He's a great interview. He's done, you could tell he's done many of these before. He's a lot of fun. He really does a great job explaining this stuff. And he's got some really unique perspectives on cybersecurity and particular privacy, which is what we're going to focus on next week. So two really big reasons to listen next week. First, free stuff. Tune in and I'll tell you how you could win a whole bunch of books, including uh, signed copies of my books. I'm trying to get some ones from Bruce too. I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not, but uh, I will at least give him some books, uh, give away one of his books for sure uh, as part of this bundle. And a whole slew of other great books from A-Press. So uh, lots of prizes that'll be uh, mailed out, but you got to listen to win. Uh, so again, uh, make sure you're tuned in next week for that. All right. And that's going to wrap up our show this week. I'm really super excited about next week. I'm sure you can't tell. <laughs> But it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, again, tell your friends and families, shoot out that info on, so on your social media, and uh, spread the word. And we'll have our pod centennial next week. Tune in next week for that. Until then, as always, stay safe and don't get caught with your garbage down.